Psalm 73 Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens. Their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back with them and find no fault in them. And they say, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you, and you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your good works. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Thank you very much for the invitation to be back here again. It's wonderful to be here, to see quite a number of faces that I've known over the years, but also to see many new faces. What a joy. So you might like to uh, turn back to Psalm 73. It's a longish psalm, you might say. How long is it going to take to explore this psalm this morning? I'll do my best to highlight some key things. So we're looking back at page nine. You know, one of the things that I love about the Bible is its earthy realism. It understands the world we live in, the good and the bad, the grief and the joys. It also understands how we feel about life's injustices, especially when we see people who mock any notion of God enjoying success. Nothing ever seems to go wrong for them. If God is truly good and all-powerful, why doesn't he do something? Let me say, true faith will always have questions. In fact, faith that refuses to ask questions is one that leaves itself open to the contempt of the skeptic. 
True faith will want to address tough questions and be willing to experience the doubts that arise. Now, it's important to note as we begin that to have doubts is not to lack faith because doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt and unbelief are two very different things. Doubt is something that only a, that only a believer can experience. But you can only doubt what you believe. So with those thoughts in mind, come with me to Psalm 73. It's a reflection written by a man who experienced doubt. It tells us in verse 2 that he'd come within a hair's breadth of abandoning his faith in God. But as for me, he says, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. Yet by the end of the psalm, he tells us that he felt closer to God than ever before. In verse 28 we read, but for me it's good to be near God, I've made the Lord God my refuge to tell of all your works. And as this psalm unfolds, we learn of his spiritual journey. It's his spiritual story, you might say. How he progressed from doubt to a surer trust in God. So let's begin by having a look at the first theme that we're seeing here, doubts. The songwriter's big question is framed by a theological principle that he sets out in verse 1. God is good to the pure in heart, or God is good to the upright. Why is it, he's asking, that many who are godless find life easy and very successful while I suffer? And his bitterness flows through verses 3 through 11. It's as though he is saying, come on, let's face it. Whatever we might hear and say when we go to church, it's the self-centered and the proud, the deceitful and the ruthless people who seem to succeed. They enjoy good health, great wealth. They're the celebrities of life. Nothing seems to bring them down. No one seems to be able to call them to account they even get rewarded for their crimes with popularity. God is irrelevant, they mock, rejecting any thought of divine retribution. Justice is the issue that troubles the poet. Look at verse 13. All in vain I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been plagued and am punished every morning. You know, the Bible regularly says that God is good to the pure in heart. But again and again, as the psalm writer looked around, he has seen the success of the godless. And we can understand what he means. We hear of the appalling cases of child abuse today many of them unresolved, the perpetrators walking free. 
we read of corporate leaders who have taken millions for themselves and have no sense of responsibility to employees or shareholders who have lost their assets. We read of dictators who have cruelly exploited their people, now living and feasting in luxury in their palatial homes. It's an unjust world, the psalm writer is saying. But when we think about it, injustice often only becomes an issue for us when it personally touches us. Just have a look what the psalm writer says down in verse 3. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And it's those first-person singular pronouns, what we might call the vertical pronouns, that give the psalm writer away, and when we use the same kind of language, that gives us away. So what's the solution to doubts? Well, have a look at verse 15. If I had said I will walk on in this way, I would have been untrue to the circle of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Just look at those words again. It was wearisome to me until what? Until I went to the sanctuary of God. Or as we would say, until I went to church. Why was going to the sanctuary? Why is going to church today so important? Well, the Old Testament sanctuary as with good churches today, and I'm sad to say that there are so many churches that are not good, that the Old Testament sanctuary and good churches are places where God's word is both read, believed, and taught. Where God's name is honoured in song and in prayer, as we've been doing this morning. Good churches put God at the centre of our vision in life. And that's vitally important for us. For it's only when God is at the centre of our vision that we can see things as they really are. You know, we human beings are like the moon. We live on borrowed light. It's not until we turn our face towards God, who is the only source of true light, that we see the truth about life. As long as we put me at the centre of life, our vision of life is going to be distorted. So good churches can deliver us from our self-absorption in good churches, the Bible is believed and taught as God's unique, authoritative, written self-revelation. And when the Bible is read and taught this way, we begin to see life in God's light. When we look at this through the lens of the New Testament, 
we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 8 and verse 12, the words of Jesus, God's one and only eternal Son, where he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the first steps out of doubt is to turn away from the problem and to catch a glimpse of God. So going to a church that believes and connects the dots of the Bible is a great way to start. Now it's important we think about this. Glenn Scrivener, in his book, The Air We Breathe, released last year, by the way, it's a book I recommend that you all get and read, he writes of the immense reforming influence of Christianity and the impact that it's had on the world, especially on Western society. Whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, Christian ideas and values, including even our sense of justice, are the air we breathe because of the renewal that Christianity brought to the whole of the world. Scrivener asks, if we are simply something out of nothing, which is what we're told in the wider world, where do we get our sense of right and wrong? At one point, he draws from C.S. Lewis's illustration of a line, how do we know a line is crooked unless we are aware of a line that is straight? In Mere Christianity, Lewis wrote, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how do I get this idea of just, unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he first has some idea of the straight. What was I comparing the universe to when I called it unjust? As Scrivener makes these comments, is making some observations about child sex abuse. And he comments, it's the goodness of Jesus that defines the evil of such abuse. To return to Psalm 73, when the psalm writer sat under God's word he learned that we live in a moral universe where justice will prevail. Just look at the second part of verse 17, 18. Then I perceived their end. Truly you sit them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. Now talk of an end time and judgment isn't at all popular these days. But the fact is, as far as the Bible is concerned, these things are dreadfully real. And if we think about it, if they weren't real, there'd be no hope for goodness in the world because we'd have no sense of objectivity. We'd know how, no idea of that straight line against which we measure 
injustices, either in those around us, in the world around us, and let's be candid here and very honest, even in our own lives. You know, there'd be no real reason for pursuing goodness because in the final analysis, goodness wouldn't mean anything unless there's a creator who one day is going to call us all to account. It's only because the God who made the world intends to give his moral verdict on human history that we dare to believe that goodness matters. Without judgment, God and the world are reduced to moral indifference. And I'm sure you see what happens. People who don't have this perspective of the future can see no value in goodness. All they'll do is keep on redefining goodness according to what they like goodness to be. But to reckon that goodness is truly important, we have to believe that the future counts. And just because the future can't be seen doesn't mean that it's imaginary. God sees it, even if we don't. Psalm 73 is telling us that when the poet, the psalm writer, went to church, he saw life and its meaning from God's perspective. Just look at verse 20. They are like a dream. When one awakes, on awaking you despise their phantoms. Have you ever had one of those nightmares where you wake up suddenly because you are sweating with anxiety? You switch on the light and suddenly you laugh because of your foolishness. It all seems so real, but it wasn't. Once you wake up, you realize it was all an illusion. Well, that's how God sees the prosperity of the wicked who mock him. It's not real because their prosperity doesn't last. One day we will wake and realize that all those material things that we might have longed for, chased after, will fade into the mist. I think it was when J.D. Rockefeller died, immense wealth. The press were pressing his lawyers or accountants for how much he left. And one very careful voice said softly, everything, everything. You know, there's probably no more terrible judgment on godless men and women than the fact that one day God will ignore them forever. Jesus himself says it towards the end of his Sermon on the Mount that we read in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. He says for those who like to say that they knew him, but they didn't really know him, 
He says, depart from me. I never knew you. And he says it again in the parable of the rich fool that we've just read this morning from Luke chapter 12. God says to the man who is consumed with self-interest and his material success, you fool. This night, your soul is demanded of you. You fool. Depart from me. What chilling words to hear from the Lord of the universe. What a terrifying nightmare that is a real thing to be despised by the living God. When the psalm writer went to church and put God at the centre of his vision, he was able to see just how precarious is the prosperity of the godless. It's not going to last, he realised. And as he thought about that, two other things came to his mind. He had a new perspective about himself. Just look at verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was stupid and ignorant. I was like a brute beast towards you. You see, part of our problem is that once we get into morbid introspection about something, it very quickly becomes a vicious circle. We don't feel like listening to God's word. We would rather wallow in self-pity and feed our resentment towards God. And so we lock ourselves in the dungeon of our own thoughts and throw away the key. Our darkness grows deeper and deeper. Our disillusionment turns into despair. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important to commit to attending church every Sunday. A church that, as I'm saying, that loves, believes, and clearly teaches God's word. If we don't discipline ourselves to go to church regularly and put God at the center of our lives, then when doubts and questions arise, we would not have the bigger perspective that God's word provides. As soon as we open our hearts to God's word, we see ourselves as we really are. We see things about ourselves that perhaps we'd rather not see. We see the sulkiness of our behavior, the childishness of our resentment, we see how pathetic our self-pity is. I envy the arrogant. And we kick ourselves when we realize just how stupid we were. The songwriter also discovered something else about himself. He learned that despite his doubts and foolish talk, he was a child of God. Just look at verse 23. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. That is, I'm continually with you, God. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me into glory. So as long as we stay away from church and God's word, we can hide from this reality. We'll hear a subtle voice perhaps saying to us, well, you're not a real Christian, are you? How can you be? 
thinking that the way that you do about God or having all these doubts. To hear God's word in the company of others, it's a rich grace gift from God. It prompts us to see our doubts for what they are and opening our eyes to the meaning of faith. Day by day, God holds us by the hand. He guides us with his counsel through the wisdom, through the truth that we read in the scriptures. And he will bring us to glory. And what a day that will be. You know, we today have a far greater assurance of this future reality because we live on the other side of the life and death the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. His offer of forgiveness and new life with God forever are not an empty promise. On the afternoon when Jesus was dying on a cross on Calvary's hill, joining us in the death that we deserve, one of the two men who were crucified with him, called out to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. To which Jesus replied, today you'll be with me in paradise. I can assure you, Jesus is saying, your dying will not be without hope. There'll be no hell, no purgatory, no delay for you. Today, you'll be with me. And Jesus' words that day ring down through the centuries. Everyone who turns to him in true repentance and heartfelt faith. Every one of us who puts their life in his hands can be assured of life with him in all of its fullness, joy, and glory forever. C.S. Lewis once put it this way, all your life an unattainable ecstasy has hovered just beyond the grasp of your consciousness. The day is coming when you will wake to find beyond all hope that you have attained it, or else, that it was within your reach and you have lost it forever. Hello everyone, my name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.